everyone, and welcome back to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single Wii U game in random order, and then we're talking about it, and then we're comparing it to other games that we also discussed in random order. Do you get it? Why am I still explaining the premise? If you're still with us at this point, then you probably get it, I would hope, but you never know. You never know. There's always new listeners. Uh, I'm rambling on today because, uh, you know what? I kind of don't want to talk about these games. I'm going to be real cranky about them. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to rein in the crankiness. That's not the energy I want to put out in the world. But either way, I am uh, uh, Chinese General Steve Gunley. Hello. I am gently massaging the blister on my thumb, uh, Woody Siskowski. <laughs> I, let me yeah. tell you, the, the Y button on my Wii U, it's now just kind of, uh, it looks like an L button now, a, lo a, a lowercase <laughs> L. Um, yeah, soon it'll just be a smooth little nub. Yep. Exactly. Because, yeah, uh, yeah. I really, I really put it through the ringer here. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I, th I think we we had a similar experience with these games. Want, I'm going uh, to tell you the secret of winning at this game, Steve. Yeah. Press Y. Press Y. Oh, is that a, is that a, all you got to do? A lot of times. I, there were times when I wanted to get like one of those little like uh, drinking birds and just kind of set it up next to my gamepad and just let it do that for you me, would, but it probably wouldn't do it fast. Yeah, enough. you would need to attach it to kind of like. Um, a sort of high high speed mechanism where you can just get that drinking bird going up down up down up down like just yeah, really fast. There, weren't there like little like connects sets that had like kind of basic electronics that you could make little simple machines? You know, maybe I can get something like that. I guess the other option is I could just not play the game. No, you can't. I guess that that might be similar. That is or, that, is, not, that is not yeah. an option because oh, you're, so you're, I stuck, okay. you're stuck talking We're, about it. And uh, I hate to break it to you, but. Uh, all the rest of the games on the Wii U are uh, Warriors games. Oh, dang it. I mean, I guess most games feature a warrior of some kind or another, but uh, these ones have them right there in the titles. That's right. The two games we are talking about today are Warriors Orochi 3 Hyper. Terrible name. And terrible, 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 terrible name. Terrible. And a uh, better name, Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. Uh, that one makes more sense. Yeah, it no takes place in Hyrule. There are some warriors. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Uh, so we're going to be diving into those. We may have already tipped our hands about what we think about these <laughs> games, but uh, we're going to be diving into those in a second. First, I would like to talk about what else you play in, what else, what else you into, uh, what do you do when you need to rest that aching thumb? <laughs> um, sure. Well, um, from now on, you need to address me as Elden Lord, because <gasps> after, did after however, I, well, that game came out, what, eight months ago? Um, yeah. I finally beat Elden Ring uh, about 70 hours in. Um, wow. A real, real crunchy game. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I had my fair share of pressing the square button in that game as well. So okay. really, uh, that same area on my thumb is just wearing down. Um, but I have to imagine the world was a little bit more satisfying than the, uh, the ones presented here. Yeah, it was. Yeah. My final take on Elden Ring is that it's a good game and I liked it. So I was, Oof. I was glad I Oof. played it. It would be a real bummer if I didn't like it after putting in 70 hours. Um, there is that very strange, uh, there's a, a very difficult balance for open world games where the games really click when you're approaching them at a very sort of leisurely, not purpose-driven way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're just trying to run from the next boss area um, and like, all right, let's advance the story, the games kind of lose a lot of their charm. Yeah, And that's sort of what happens near the end of Elden Ring. It just becomes a long series of boss fights and sort oh, okay. of more um, just sort of more linear dungeons, which is not not something I have a problem with. But you kind of lose what makes Elden Ring Elden Ring as opposed to sure. just another from software game. And like I, you know, was getting frustrated. And so I just copped to some build online and uh, proceeded to just annihilate most of those uh last few bosses which was a little anticlimactic but the last boss was still pretty cool and uh it i feel this way i felt the same way when i beat um demon souls which is like yeah oh i get this game now like i finally yeah. beaten it now i understand the mechanics now i can play it for real like now i can actually like understand how the stats and like different weapons work and it's like great it only took me a complete playthrough to sort of get a handle on the mechanics that exact same thing happened to me with Bloodborne, too, where, like, I, I was stuck on one boss for the longest time, and then once I got past it, I'm like, okay, it's all clicking with me. I'm going to beat these next three bosses in really quick succession, and damn it, the game's over. I was just liking it. Yeah, exactly. So who knows? Maybe I'll uh, 
dive into the new game plus mode, which um, seems like kind of a cool way to do that game because you have all your equipment. One of the nice. weird designs is like, you know, logically you get a lot of the best equipment late in the game, but you have to like smith and level things up. And so yeah. you probably already have like a fully equipped weapon that you got earlier. And then you get like this more powerful weapon that's not built up at all. And you're like, well, I can't really use this now. Yeah. I mean, I, I really need to get into Elden Ring. I've had it sitting on my shelf for the longest time. I keep getting distracted with pretty much every other game <laughs> in the universe. Uh, but I do want to put the time in on that one because, yeah, the, the, the universal consensus is that it's like worth playing through yes, and worth, uh, worth kind of muscling through. I put my it. two cents into that consensus as well. It is really Perfect. a game with it's, it has an amazing scope i will say that like yeah. the quantity of stuff in it is wild and it's also wild how much stuff is in the game that is so easy to just kind of walk past to uh -huh. just totally miss they'll be like oh this is a hole in this tomb and then it opens up to this giant underground city with like a huge final boss in the area and you're like oh i could have just walked past that and not been involved at all yeah well, uh, on my end, I've uh, continued to put in a lot of time in Vampire Survivors. I've kind of maxed out everything I can do on that game at this point. Like, it's gotten to a point where I will now reach level 75 and have death come and hunt me and kill me to stop me from playing every single time I open the game. Have you killed death yet? No. Can you kill, kill death? Well, that's the next thing to do. I mean, that game is Ooh. ripe with all kinds of weird, bizarre secrets. Uh, yeah, like, kind of like an Elden Ring. Like it's a game that's kind of built to play and navigate the wiki at the same time. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, there's a bunch of bizarre unlocks and codes in that, so you, there, there's probably more to discover. I'm sure there is. I've, I've, I'm forcing myself to step away from it because yeah. uh, uh, I've just been spending too much time on it. Is it is that and, kind uh, of game. It is definitely that kind of game, but. Uh, I just recently started playing the game Kentucky Route Zero, oh, uh, yeah, which I've been hearing about forever. You know, uh, I got to be honest with you, so far it's kind of like an eating your vegetables sort of experience yeah. for me. It's, uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm all about like like the walking simulators. I'm all about kind of the, uh, the, the heady games as art kind of titles. I try and seek those out and play those whenever I can because it's like really cool to see what people are doing with the format. I am finding myself largely bored with this one and pretty frustrated. I just got past the part where the game makes you sit and watch a bad play for like a really long time. Weird. And you can't, you can't escape it and you can't skip it. You're kind of in the play, but you don't really interact. And like you have to keep looking around and like looking at every single line of dialogue before they let you leave. And it's it's probably like a half an hour long play. And I'm just like... I don't want to be doing this wild. anymore. I yeah. would like to be have, back on the, you know, there's some, there's some interesting kind of metaphysical stuff going on in the main game. This is just kind of like an interstitial, you know, and, and, and it's like enough bad plays in real life. We don't need, a, man, we don't need a video game. I've seen down. them. I've seen them from the stage, you know, <laughs> Hey, I've, I've done it, you know, so I've, I've inflicted it onto people. I know. Uh, but so it, it's, I'm finding it a little frustrating. I'm I'm about halfway through the game. I don't think it's too terribly much longer, and I understand it kind of really comes together in the final act, so I'm going to try and stick with it. But it is feeling more like homework to me than a fully satisfying experience. That being said, I really love the art style. It's very, like, gloomy and spare, and it's got some gorgeous kind of, like, Kentucky folk music uh, <laughs> that'll come in every once in a while. And they do some really interesting stuff with the text, you know, and, like... The, the zero route that you're talking about is kind of an alternate dimension where you can, I don't know, it's it's all very weird and heady and interesting, but... Uh, well, I hope you, know, it, I hope you yeah. do power through it um, just because I would be curious to know what you think about it and if I maybe I'll just continue to push it back in my playlist. Are you playing it on uh, your Steam Deck? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, yeah. and that works yeah. fine. It, it's, a, it's a very good fit for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you get uh, God of War, which I believe came out yesterday? No, I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, next week when I get paid, I'm, uh, I'm going to be adding that to the queue. Uh, looking forward to the next God of War. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that first one. I know we've had uh, differing opinions on on that game, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to get back. Oh, into I mean, that I would world. never like, you know, I'm not going to say like that game's not good. I just had a lot of trouble oh, no, just, sort of yeah. breaking my way through into it. 
Yeah, absolutely. We all have games like yep. that. Uh, I also want to toss out a movie recommendation. I never really toss out movie recommendations, but I, I was very excited by this one. Uh, I got to see a showing of uh, The Banshees of Inishirin. This oh, yeah. is the, the new film from Martin McDonough, who made uh, In Bruges and Three Billboards and Seven Psychopaths. Uh, really great filmmaker, and that this movie just really blew me away. Okay. Really, really blew me away. It's... It's like the simplest premise, and it just kind of contains all of these multitudes, and it's really rewarding to just kind of watch it unfold. I'm not even going to say what it's about, you know, just because I went into it pretty blind, and there's there's a real joy of discovery in that movie and kind of finding out the 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 lengths it goes to and how, how it can, like, unfold based on this very simple premise, but... Uh, Career best work from Colin Farrell, who who is uh, a tremendous actor. Brendan Gleeson, also amazing. Kerry Condon, amazing. Barry Keogh, amazing. All this amazing Irish talent, beautiful cinematography. Uh, so I think it's still kind of being rolled out across the country. Yeah, it is. I'm one it's, of the. It's just coming here this weekend, so I'm definitely. Oh, I'm Definitely going to see it. Definitely check it out. Uh, the Banshees of Inishirin. It's fun to say. <laughs> um, they even point. They even mention that in the movie. They're like, I like the double S H sound. Um, yes. All right. Well, let's talk about our series today. So we're talking about the Warriors games. And like you said, last week you got excited because you thought we might mean we're talking about the Rockstar game based on the 1979 cult film, which I would have much rather played. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a more enjoyable game. And it's also a, a fun, goofy, speaking of fun, like that's a fun, goofy movie with weird aesthetics. And yes. like the vibe here is not quite as fun. You know, so what we're really talking about is the Dynasty Warriors series. Uh, uh, one of kind of the most weirdly, quietly successful franchises in video gaming. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It has a lot of very diehard fans, and it feels like there are new entries in one of these arms of this series or another every single year. But do we have any idea, like... You said it has a lot of very diehard fans. Like, I don't know if it has a lot. I think that I would Maybe describe not a lot. it. I think it's, it yeah. has enough. Like It has enough. That's a good way to put it's it. It's like, you know, long-running horror franchises or something where you're like, wow, there's 10 Hellblazer movies. Like, yeah. Or Hellraiser. Like, how do they do this? And it's like, well, each one kind of just makes enough money to justify making the next one. Even totally. Even though most yeah. people, you know, have no interest in it. And it's kind of like what Koei has going for them right now. You know, it's sort of their big flagship series uh, because of some very early successes. And it's kind of been coasting off those ever since. You know, it's my it's like I feel like I've always been just kind of completely uninterested in this as a series. I think I played 15 minutes of Dynasty Warriors 2 when it came out on PS2. And I'm just like, I get the gist. I'm good. Uh, and every time I kind of try and dip my toe back into it, I, I just get kind of uh, frustrated and confused, um, because I, I, it feels like there should be more here than there is. <laughs> yeah. You it, know, it, it's kind of wild. Like I, this, this series kind of has a reputation as just being kind of, I mean, of a low quality and just sort of a repetitive button masher. And I'm like, all right, you know, usually when things develop a kind of reputation, it's it's sort of simplistic. It's like there's yeah. more to the game than whatever the reputation would imply. Um, but this is my first time playing one of these games. And I'm like, no, that's actually spot on. <laughs> there's maybe. Okay. So you, you missed these completely. Oh, like yeah. You never had any kind. Yeah. Okay. And, and like, yeah. Well, the weird thing is these are mostly pretty critically well received. Like it's become one of those series where critics don't really bother with it anymore right. because it's sort of just like the background noise. But most of the early, especially the early editions of this, were really critically well received. And I, I guess I was ready to kind of like these games because I like dumb sort of action games. Like I, yeah. on record, is having a good time playing Devil's Third. Um, yeah, and absolutely. I, and Ninja we're both 3. big God Hand fans. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, all right, I'll just you know mow down loads of dudes with some goofy special moves and like. I'm sure it will be repetitive, but like it'll be fun for an hour. Like that's all we ask is to play these games for an hour. And like, I mean, I've been talking about Vampire Survivor. That's literally all that game is: is just mowing down ridiculous hordes of enemies. Right. And you probably I put in like what forty hours on Vampire Survivors, but like mm -hmm. this, I lose interest. Like 
halfway through the first mission. Like, yeah, it's it, it's wild. And like the, the missions here, like take like 15, 15 minutes and you're like, that doesn't seem too long. And boy, it feels long. <laughs> it's. Well, speaking of long, let's talk about the long history of the Dynasty Warriors series, which is uh, uh, endured to a kind of ridiculous degree. Uh, so we can't talk about the series without talking about Koei, which is the company that produced this series uh, since the early 90s. Well, actually more since the 80s, like with the Japanese PC market. Koei has kind of been known as the developers of very like high tone, uh, uh, inscrutable, historically based RPGs. That's yeah. kind of been their like stock and trade for and, a long and time. Simulations, like and simulations. It, these yeah. are the romance of the three kingdoms, guys. Right. That's exactly right. They were actually particularly fascinated by this three kingdoms era, and so the three kingdoms era. This lasted from 220 to 280 AD, and it's notoriously one of the bloodiest eras in Chinese history okay. because we have these three basically warring dynasties trying to control the empire. So this is a uh, so Japanese just, developer that seems very enamored with Chinese history. Yeah, not just Chinese history, because, you know, so the, their their first big hit was, like you said, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, and that was this very dense strategy RPG that came out for the Famicom and, like, uh, home consoles. It came out on the NES in 1988. A, and A wild idea to think that there must have been people out there trying to play this game on the NES and just... Yeah. Oh, the interface. I mean, because these are so much like early examples of like grand strategy games and to be like, all right, you're going to boil this down to the home console NES and play it with two buttons just sounds this, rough. This was the era when like you really needed the manual and the manual was like longer than a George R. R. Martin <laughs> book. Like you really needed to explain all these mechanics because... Uh, I think I've tried playing Romance of the Three Kingdoms on NES, like without the manual, and I was so confused. Have you tried to play any of these? Um, I think just in the sense that, like, I would pick one up for my Super Nintendo collection and pop it in and be like, "Yep, that game works." Like that game booted <laughs> up and go I, no more. Yeah, I, I would. I remember going to a friend's house, like in middle school, and he was playing Super NES, and he had one of these games on. Like when I came into his room, and I just like. I was baffled and I'm like, wow, games are like for grownups now. Like this is, this is like filing your taxes. Had he been like playing this is so, it? did he like it? He was playing it. He was really good at okay. it. Like he, he put in a lot of time. He was like a big fan of the series. Uh, but he didn't bother trying to explain it to me. We immediately <laughs> switched over to super Mario world sure. and I was much happier. Um, but yeah, romance of the three kingdoms was kind of a surprise success and it inspired a whopping 13 sequels, wow. the most recent of which was released just in 2020. So that series very much still alive. Uh, I mean, yeah, I imagine another series that simply has a group of diehard fans that is enough to keep it alive. And, you know, Koei is just fine coasting on that. Yeah. You just need a, a certain number of people who are going to buy these sight unseen, you know, but but the surprise success of that game made Koei kind of the biggest name in strategy RPGs. So we got a lot of games on NES like uh, Genghis Khan, uh, PTO, uh, Liberty or Death, Nobunaga's Ambition. They're all these very Tony kind of historical RPGs that are very inscrutable to the average player. <laughs> uh, you know, so it gave them a very distinct profile, but it also gave them a reputation for being very niche and very kind of up their own ass. You know, sure. like they, this is a this is very. You need, a, you need a master's degree to get into a Koei game. So by the late 90s, the company was looking for an opportunity to shift to more action-oriented fare, and that's when we get the first Dynasty Warriors. So, you know, Dynasty Warriors, it's best known as, like, this hack-and-slash series, but the original did not start out this way. The original Dynasty Warriors, which came out on PS1 in 1997, is actually a one-on-one -on -one fighting game. Oh. Um, and it's only like eight characters, and it's all sourced from characters from the uh, the Three Kingdoms era of Chinese history. Okay. They're all real-life historical figures that, of course, been adapted. You know, uh, most of these did not. The same way RRR like brings together characters from Indian history that never actually interacted sure. with each other. It's That's just kind of what pull people yeah. who have names that are real names, and then you basically stop there. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, like we don't even know if this is what these people look like. They probably didn't look like this. But uh, yeah, so this was all a fighting game based on real life military heroes. Uh, the title was developed by Omega Force, which is a subsidiary of Koei that was founded primarily to develop these more action oriented games. And uh, the original Dynasty Warriors was very well received. Uh, it, it's 
its closest comparison at the time that a lot of uh, critics were comparing it to was Soul Blade, which okay. is the precursor to Soul Calibur. And a lot of critics came in, down in favor of Dynasty Warriors, wow. saying, like, this is actually the better Soul Blade. It, it's uh, strange that which is, this, this sort of origins, this first PS1 game is, like, totally forgotten. Like, I think completely forgotten. Yeah. More of a leg to like Bushido Blade or something, which didn't even go anywhere beyond that. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what people kind of uh, lump it in with. Um, But yeah, despite all that praise, this is the only one on one fighter in the series. The sequel was Dynasty Warriors 2. That was a launch title for the PS2. And that debuted the new signature gameplay style, which is one warrior, again, sourced from real people in the Three Kingdoms era, who takes on a huge-ass crowd of enemies with an outrageously sized sword. I mean, speaking and of RRR, I guess, it's like the scene at, um, it's the scene <laughs> at the beginning where, you know, the guy disguised uh, the British military has to fight through, you know, just hordes and hordes of uh, pe- people to arrest yeah. the one guy who threw the rock. Oh, God, I'm going to watch that movie again. That movie, movie rules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, critics at the time acknowledged that the gameplay was pretty shallow for what it was, but they thought it was, this is a fun, like arcade style beat em up. And it was one of the only releases to come out on the early PS2. So it was a big hit. Uh, people were picking this one up, uh, you know, because it's either this or Fantavision and, you know, there's only so many, uh, fireworks based puzzles you can solve. And it's like, um, I mean, there's some aspects of this gameplay that seem impressive. Like it's really built around the idea of like, all right, what if there's just an absurd amount of enemies on the screen at one time, which, you know, in a launch console can be pretty impressive. Like that's something that they would not be able to pull off on the PS one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's if you want to show off like what the PS two can handle compared to the PS one, this is a good way to do it. Um, but the the series was quick to capitalize on that early success, uh, and so they they spun off and gave them dozens of sequels and spinoffs and spiritual successors and re-releases and enhanced ports and all kinds of things. There is just so much Dynasty Warriors content out there, it's ridiculous. So there are nine main series Dynasty Warriors games, each of which have been like re-released and ported and given enhanced versions on multiple H- platforms. Hence the hyper. That's why we got the hyper. Um, but in addition to that, we also got Samurai Warriors in 2004, which shifted the act the era uh, to the Sengoku era of Japanese history, which I think is around the 1400s. Uh, that game had eight games uh, in its own <laughs> series, which is ridiculous. And then we have the Orochi series, which is what we're talking about today. This oh, debuted okay. in 2007, and it kind of confusingly unites the Dynasty and Samurai Warriors series together. Uh, using the the you know very convenient method of a magical portal brings everybody <laughs> together. You know that's what you got to do. Yep. It doesn't seem to matter that hundreds of years of history separate these characters. Orochi brings them all together and also adds much more of a sci-fi bent to the kind of traditional historical style of the games. Okay, I mean um, that you know that is the vibe that I got here. You know, your first boss is a, a giant hydra. Yeah, um, but like I never, I don't know. It, it's hard to believe that anyone would be playing these games with like a historical interest. You know what I mean? Like I get that you might like enjoy the vibe and like the setting here, but like it seems so devoid, like who cares? Like if these are Japanese samurai or, you know, Chinese warriors, like it. Yeah. You might have some like basic name recognition, but I guess our equivalent would be like, Ooh, give give Stephen Decatur a big cutlass and set him loose against a, a bunch of enemies. Like I don't care. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not excited about that. I have vague name recognition of who that man is, and that's all I need. Uh, you know, so I, the the series was kind of stagnating. Uh, you know, but because there's just a ridiculous number of games <laughs> that were coming out, and so uh, Koei had to pivot to keep the series relevant again. And so they kind of took inspiration from Lego. Uh, Lego kind of found renewed success by adapting its formula to other properties. And since this is a pretty basic formula that they have, which is press button, uh, slice enemy, they started adapting it to other series. Starting in 2007, we got Dynasty Warriors Gundam. Okay. Uh, and that was a success. So they started bringing in more and more properties, mostly anime. So now we have I mean, Warriors I versions of... there's a pretty big cross-section there. So that makes oh, sense. Oh, 100%. Yeah, now we have Warriors versions of One Piece, Fist of the North Star, Attack on Titan, Berserk, Persona, Dragon's Quest, Fire Emblem, and of course, Zelda, which we will be talking about in a few minutes. Yeah. But first, we got to talk about this first game, which is called Warriors Orochi 3 Hyper, <laughs> a terrible title. 
Uh, released November 18th, 2012, a launch game developed by Omega Force, published by Tecmo Koei, and is also released on PS3, 360, and PSP, with remastered editions on PS4, Xbox One, Windows, and Switch. Do you know when Tecmo and Koei merged? Like It was 2014, I think? 2010? 20, 2010. Well, I mean, it, it was, was 2010. before this, so yeah. Yeah, it was 2010. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they hadn't been together too long. Um, no. Yeah, this game is... There's... There's this weird, like, you know, we just played some shitty Smurf games or whatever, and you go into those with a certain amount of expectations, mostly very low expectations. Low expectations, yeah. Um, yeah. But you kind of are willing to give them a pass if because you're like, this is not really a real game. This is kind of a, a half-assed cash grab. Whereas it's some, a yeah exactly it's it's something to keep kids occupied for twenty minutes or something right. while you get chores done. Whereas a game like this that's by you know Koei Tecmo, a company that makes you know real games, you kind of go in with higher expectations to be like, all right, this and well, especially something that has been you know ser- in service for so long and has just like been sequelized. You're like, there must be something here. Um, yeah and there's gotta be yeah and when you start playing it you just like you're in this sort of brown kind of just environment running around just slicing dudes and you're like is this really all that there is like oh yeah so the premise here is you play as either a (laughs) i mean you start as the chinese warriors here who have all been eaten by various hydras you're like sure. these three surviving members along with you know hundreds of people in your army who remain unnamed mm. um and you have to go defeat this giant hydra but uh that turns out to be impossible <laughs> so, okay all right good yeah. I, I thought i was just like doing it wrong because i'm just like shooting this hydra forever and like a little bit of damage is being taken, but it's like I can't tell what I'm hitting to cause that damage or if I'm even doing that or or if it matters. No, and so eventually you have to retreat through this first level and you meet a magical lady who is like, oh... Princess Kaguya. <laughs> um, the solution to beat this Hydra is time travel. We will go back in time before the Hydra ate everyone, and then you can save all your countrymen by winning battles and bring them back to all defeat the Hydra later. So is this kind of like a young Hitler situation? Like you go back in time and, and kill Hitler as a baby. So like there's a baby Hydra that we have to just go like punch. Now, that, you know, that would make a lot more sense in terms yeah. of the approach. But no, the, the idea is we'll go back in time and amass a larger force to be able to. And then we'll come back when the Hydra is super powerful and beat it then. Oh, good call. Like, uh, that seems confusing. I'll um, do it. So your basic gameplay here is you have the Y button, king of all buttons. Oh, hail. Yeah. You press it and you attack and the enemies fall down and then you press it again. To be clear, there's also uh, an X button Mm -hmm. if you also want to press another button. Uh, That button doesn't, like, I know it gives you a different attack, but that attack did not seem very useful. I don't know. No, not terribly. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also, like, a a series of special attacks called Muso attacks where... uh, you can charge up your special meter and then do damage to a bunch of enemies at once by uh, hitting the right bumper. Like, yeah, I, I immediately was just getting like irritated by this game. And I think it's, it's the same irritation I get. I recognize it in myself when it's like, I feel like I'm missing something crucial Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm angry that uh, I wasn't given the one piece of information I need to make sense of this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like there, there's, there's an episode of The Simpsons, I think like season 11 or 12, where half of the episode is a, a lengthy parody of the British TV show The Prisoner oh, yeah. from the late 60s. I remember the first time I watched that show, I was, or that episode, I was so irritated the entire time because I knew this was referencing something. These were too specific. This bubble, okay. this random guy, all these people with numbers. Like, I knew it was referencing something specific, but I didn't know what it was. They weren't attempting to explain it to me, and I just got very irritated. It wasn't until later, like years and years later, that I watched that show, and now I get it. But it's still like, 
I, I was having the same feeling with uh, Orochi 3, where I'm like, there's something missing here. Somebody's not explaining to me why I should care about this. Yeah. I don't want to keep playing it. And yeah, like the the first time I saw that episode of The Simpsons, I just thought it was like weird and crazy and I like re- I enjoyed it. Um because yeah. I had no idea that it was referencing the prisoner. Yeah. Um and it and I think maybe that's the way to find joy in these games to just be like all right, I know that I'm just here to press Y a bunch and like yeah. see the man's fall down and that's enough. But right. I I don't know. That's that feels like such a hard sell because there's so I okay. So, I'm going to my biggest problem with this game, which I think everything stems from, mm-hmm. is the combat itself is not satisfying. Like that's the thing that you would think. You're like, "All right, this is a game built around slicing a bunch of enemies with like basic combat." But yeah. like there's so many other games that have been out, you know, for 10 years before this one came out. That yeah. just do combat so much better. Like your basic combo move is like four slashes, and then you can like press Y and spin around your spear or something. But like it feels like they're making an effort to have it too grounded in reality. And so none of the moves are very um cinematic or exciting. Well, for me, it was that uh it feels incredibly insubstantial. Mm-hmm. It, it feels less satisfying than like chopping through the grass in a Zelda game. Right. Because at least even then, like you get, you know, you get leaves falling, you get something. It feels like these, uh, you, every enemy looks the same. Mm-hmm. They are all just like the same exact model of like this gray goblin thing that looks like it came from Thor 2 or something. Like it's, it's just this really boring character design. Uh, you don't feel any kind of satisfaction by mowing through it because there's nothing they can do that would really hurt you in any significant way. Yeah. It, like they might chip your health down a tiny bit, but they drop health so readily that you're just going to recharge immediately. So there are no stakes involved here. And they barely make an effort to attack you. Like I understand that what this game is going for is kind of like you're you're this game wants to give the feeling that you are one part of a giant battle that's going on yeah it's like you have an army behind you there's this you know giant demon army and like as you're playing these sort of notifications will come up that's like Wu da has been killed or uh who's like one of your officials or something like that right in your army or like it will mark if someone has taken a certain territory or something like that and the idea is, you know, you look at the mini map as you're playing and run to the area that's getting overwhelmed and then, like, beat all the enemies there. And then, like, your army gains morale. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, kind of a good premise because it gives you the idea that sometimes it's more important to, like, just run past the enemies to get to the objective. Sure. But the problem is, like, neither your army nor the enemy army actually seem to be fighting each other at all like no did you ever play those uh lord of the rings games for ps2 or xbox yeah i did yeah mm-hmm. those games like some of those final levels in like um return of the king have a really good sense of like there's this giant war going on and you have yeah. to run along um helms deep and you know knock down these ladders um to keep orcs from climbing up you feel like you're a big part of it here like like even your army is kind of following you but they never seem to be fighting anything they're just kind of standing behind you and you're constantly needing to do like maintenance of them you're needing to go check on them because they're they're kind of useless i mean again to bring it back to vampire survivors but i think it's apt like vampire survivors is a game that uh appears very simple and only gradually reveals its depths as you play through it. Mm-hmm. This is a game that tries to front load it with depth that isn't actually there. Yes. I think, you know, that, that, was, they, that was my understanding too. It's like, there's a lot of things here that you make. Oh, there's actually more to this than you might think of like completing mission objectives and like increasing the morale on your troops or protecting certain, um, certain, you know, people in your squad. Yeah. But, it all just comes back to just like mow down enemies and run from place to place. Yeah. Yeah. That That's really all it is, you know, and I don't think it does a very good job of explaining its mechanics to you at all. Like when we get to the next game, like a lot of things were clicking into place for me with Hyrule Warriors yeah. because it's like, 
oh, this is that mechanic? Okay, they didn't tell me this. Like, they just kind of assumed I would know this. Uh, but also, like, every level is prefaced with all of these, like, menu options and character selections. And, like, you can look at the battlefield and you can pick your weapons. And none of it matters yeah. because you're just going to be going in and pressing the Y button until the game tells you to stop pressing the Y button. And I don't know, like, I'm not I'm not trying to generalize here, but I am, I am legitimately wondering, like, this does seem to be kind of a theme in, like, more commonly in like Japanese developed franchises. Yeah. Um, often, you know, the things I always uh, come down on these franchises that just have crazy, like unintelligible names um, where they seem to make no effort to like uh, reach out to new players. You know what right. I mean? To just be like, all right, we have our audience. We're just going to give this a name like Orochi three hyper. That tells yeah. you nothing, but that our audience will care about, and we're just going to target them and be totally okay with that. And it's like, you know, sometimes American games tend too far the other way, where they're right. like, okay, every God of War game, we have to re-explain the basic mechanics of how this works, even though, yeah. you know, you should know how to play a game. They're like, press the control stick to walk forward. You're like, great, I get it. Thank um, you, yeah. But yeah, some of these games, you're like, don't you want to try and like draw new players in but it's like nope not really no um, we're good and i mean thankfully that is something that they seem to put effort into with hyrule warriors which makes sense because like yeah there's maybe a new group of people who'd be interested in that game um oh speak if, if you yeah. want to continue can i do yeah. you want to be a more uh, annoyed with uh, uh uh frustrating titles yeah of course okay so this game it was originally called warriors orochi 3 uh, and then there's a PSP port of it. They changed the title to Muso Orochi 2 Special. <laughs> and then they ported that version back to PS4, and they called it Warriors Orochi 3 Ultimate. And then they made another follow-up to that, what was called Warriors Orochi 3 Ultimate Definitive Edition. Wow. And then Hyper is the Wii U exclusive mode, but like the Definitive Edition brought in all the, the, the features that the Wii U one had. Wild. So this game has been released like several times. And I don't know anybody else in the world that's played it besides you and I just now. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, and, and yeah, there, there's just a there's a there's a dizzying amount of information being thrown at you yeah. in any given moment in this game. Like, first of all, you need to read all of the text bubbles pop up, and you need to like read it while you're trying to hack through things. In the meantime, like body counts are being thrown at you, and you're getting updates about other outposts and about other soldiers who are dying, and like, and it, it's 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 just so much visual noise that I was just getting a headache from it. it. It is interesting. Like whenever my mom would go like see an action movie in the theater, like we would go together. I'm like, Hey mom, like come, see, you know, go see them. This Mad Max movie is great or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, she would always fall asleep during the like highest level of action intensity. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's like a weird aspect where you kind of assume that the opposite of boring is something being like, very stimulating and it's like visually this game is fairly stimulating and there's a lot going on but it's also very boring <laughs> like it, it it's so unengaging in what is actually happening that you yeah. just kind of it sort of repels you away as opposed to if it sort of went at a more leisurely pace i might actually be more engaged with it because it would have an opportunity to kind of explain its mechanics um between the levels, you do get, like, um, the ability to sort of level up your character or buy new weapons. And there's, like, a fuse mechanic where you can merge two different weapons to make one of them more powerful. Yeah. But, again, like, all of this stuff, you don't really see, like, you. it's so hard to see it in action and get an idea of, like, yes, this is making a meaningful difference. Like... <clears throat> That's that's kind of what I realized playing Elden Ring. Like Elden Ring has just an absolute absurd number of mechanics, but it does a pretty good job of giving you a reason to use those me each mechanic. Like if you want to like um you know get weird like lightning powers, like there's times where that is going to be useful and there's times right. where you have to like, "Oh, I can't beat this boss. Let me try this sort of different build or like um, 
altering this weapon in a certain way so it can hit their weak point. Here, since there's no sense of challenge from the enemies, you're just like, yeah, I guess I'll level this up to get a higher number. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Just get another star. Yeah. You know, and I, I was worried I was just being too harsh on this game. I thought maybe, all right, I'm just in a bad mood. I've got a headache today. I'm not feeling great, you know. So I, I'm just like, all right, maybe I'm being way too harsh on it. But then when I put in the next game, I'm just like, this is instantly noticeably better. Yeah. Uh, and I think what we are just dealing with here is just like a bad port of a bad game. Yeah, you and I like are I, I, 100% on the same page because I, I felt exactly the same way. Well, let's move on to talk about that other game then. That, that game is going to be called Hyrule Warriors. That was released December 14, 2014, developed by Omega Force and Team Ninja and published by Nintendo. It was also released on the 3DS and on the Switch. Uh, so this crossover with Nintendo and Koei was announced in early 2013. Satoru Iwata confirmed that this would not be part of the main series continuity, but Eiji Aonoma, who is the uh, creative producer of the Zelda series, would be serving as a supervisor on this project. So Omega Force, they're typically the only developer overseeing a Warriors games, but this one got an, an assist from another high-profile Koei Tecmo subsidiary called Team Ninja, who we have discussed a few times before. They are the team behind the Ninja Gaiden franchise. Uh, may it rest in peace, I guess. Maybe it's dead. I don't know. I hope it's not. Yeah. So early images showed off uh, playable characters, levels, costumes, and bosses from throughout the series' history, and one preview image debuted a new character, which was an unnamed female version of Link, who ultimately didn't make it into the final cut. Oh, interesting. This character, however, would eventually appear in the you 3DS know, in all version. All kinds of DeviantArt pages. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yes, uh, this this she would appear in the uh, the 3DS version, which is called Hyrule Warriors Legend. And her name? Do you know her name off the top of your head? Um. Well, let me take a wild guess because I don't know. Link. Okay. You're very close. It's Linkle. Okay. Linkle, kind of like Richard Linkle later. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, great, great filmmaker. Uh, but yeah, so Linkle is now a character. I, th I still think that's kind of a weird and dumb name, but yeah. you know, I don't know. I haven't played that. I mean, uh, I think that, that Linka is a less dumb name, and it's kind clear, of a less like, dumb name. Linka is also a dumb name. So, like, or just give it a different name. You yeah. know, a different name entirely. Uh, so this game has a few deluxe editions, uh, which uh, come packed with perks like a scarf, a Triforce clock, an art book, additional DLC, depending on which version I you mean, buy. That definitely seems like basically the Koei Tecmo model at this yeah. point. Is like because that's the case for Dead or Alive games. They're like, all right, we're gonna make a functional game, and then we're gonna create an absurd amount of like collector's editions and mm -hmm. downloadable content for this game. Like this game has an absolute ton of fan service downloadable content. Oh, absolutely. Like, Which that... is a smart way to go. I think with, with this because Zelda fans are so like fervent yeah. and you also don't really get a chance to cross over these timelines very often. Yeah. Like you're not going to see twilight princess characters hanging out with wind waker characters and things like that. I think that the Zelda franchise in general has done a pretty good job at not sort of being weirdly fan servicey. Like yeah. that was something that kind of bugged me about Metal Gear Solid Four when I played through it. It's like, okay, do you have to reference everything that happened in every previous game? Right. Whereas you know the Zelda games sort of put nods to previous things, but kind of stand alone. Um, so this is a game where like if you're really excited about like the Zelda world and the Zelda lore, which is not. Not really what has ever drawn me to Zelda, but like no. if you have those like giant hardcover books in your bookshelf about like the history and like a page devoted to every different enemy, like this well, the, is the, the game... Hyrule Historia, yeah. you mean? Yeah, yes, that's exactly yes. what I mean. This is a game <laughs> that will probably uh, scratch your itch in that way. Like, Absolutely, a ton but of Zelda stuff. It is worth noting if you want the limited edition of this game, which comes with all of the above perks plus a cool little treasure chest to keep them all in. This is currently listed as the most valuable Wii U game. This limited edition Hyrule Warriors will cost you $8,000 <laughs> if you want to buy it boxed on eBay. So Ouch. that is not the version I have. I have just the standard-ass <laughs> disc, but uh, uh, holy shit. Yeah. Um, this game did just kind of eke its way into the Million Sellers Club. It's uh, the 19th best-selling game on the Wii U. Uh, the I, I imagine that it's the best-selling of all these Warriors games. Oh well, it was, it was, but uh, oh yeah, this there there was a uh, a switch port of this game that came out in 2018 that sold pretty well, 
uh, and inspired a sequel, which is called Age of Calamity. It came out in 2021. Uh, that takes place in the uh, Breath of the Wild continuity, and that's become like a big hit on on the Switch. It's kind of kept the Warrior series alive, you know. I, be, I already uh, forgot that that game existed. The only thing I remember about that game is everyone was excited to see Breath of the Wild two. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, and you got that. the game coming, and it's this. I felt the same way when they announced, like, oh, we've got a new announcement about a Fire Emblem game. And it's yep. like, oh, it's Fire Emblem Warriors. Okay, who could give a shit? Yeah. <laughs> well, but, apparently you know. lots and lots of people. Lots of people. Yeah. Lots of people. Those are big sellers, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the story here kind of takes place half in and half out of Zelda continuity. So, like, it it's accounting for some characters' activities during certain points in certain games. But, like, it's also its own story. And Nintendo says it doesn't really tie into anything. Yeah. In this world, Link is a uh, fledgling soldier in Zelda's army. There's a and... very it's, it's a very goofy cutscene at the beginning, yes. Where Impa like wakes Zelda up and is like, "Oh, the minions of darkness are attacking," and they're like, "We need to find someone who will fit these legendary heroes' clothes." Yes. And then they like look out over the trainees, and there's a bunch of just kind of like nameless trainees in armor, and then there's one who's just like looks like Link. And yes. they're like, who will be the mysterious hero of time? Like, oh, I wonder. Yeah. It's th- This is definitely the chattiest Link has ever been. We still don't have uh, uh, voice acting, but he's talking a lot in these like uh, uh, text boxes. No, he's not. They cheat. They cheat oh, their way they? through it because like halfway through the first level, a, a fairy, like right at the beginning, a fairy runs in. It's like, I'll join you like a Na'vi type. Yeah, and then whenever um, they cut to Link in the text box, it's the fairy talking. Oh, but they when you play as another character, no, like in the next level, you Link, play as Impa. It still shows Link's icon, but it's still the fairy talking. Like, oh, is it? Yeah. Okay, it's again, a, there's a, a lot of information trick. being thrown at you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we're still getting. You know, it, the the story here is all very like bombastic and goofy like if you're used to kind of the more like bucolic zelda storytelling where it's just like you know at your own pace and start in a quiet little village and do some fishing and chill (laughs) out you're not getting any of that you're getting a lot of big bold anime style cutscenes, which are are kind of fun they don't really fit the zelda aesthetic but they are kind of fun i i I do kind of like this as like sort of a self like an overly serious kind of dumb edgy take on zelda you know what i mean like i think that zelda is always kind of has a feeling of whimsy behind it and kind of like getting paced in by like the grandeur and sort of the feeling of nature in this game like there's a lot of kind of just like guitar tweedling yeah you fight um this sort of magma knight right at the beginning who's like you know has sort of really like goofy shines before her big attacks and things like that it it sort of is like what if zelda was like closer to god of war yeah yeah uh you know it kind of immediately the moment you start playing this game it just i it's hard to even define how it just feels immediately better yeah like your your hits feel like they have more impact. I mean, first of all, I think this looks way better. Way um, better. Yeah, we like I don't know we didn't even really talk about how it. bad that last game looks. It really does look like warmed over PS2 yeah. with like characters just kind of like, you know, the whole mechanic behind Dynasty Warriors is having huge amounts of like enemies on screen at once, and I feel like Orochi Three couldn't even really handle that. No, there's a ton of like pop in and out, like a lot of pop in, a lot of pop in. Here, I mean, the characters have weight and substance to them. Like your your hits feel impactful. You have a, a little bit more varied move sets that yep. you can kind of expand and evolve upon and if they're, you they're, want they're to. More, they're more fun, like cinematic movesets like your basic attack like link will do a flip and like spin his sword and like just like your everything is much more engaging right from the get-go like the environment that you run around it is like bright and green and doesn't just kind of look drab and brown like the last game yeah um, and yeah the move the movesets that link have are like kind of goofier and like part of the excitement of this game is that you can play as other characters. Like, you start as Link in the default mode, but, like, the second level, you can play as Impa, uh-huh. um, who has a whole different moveset. Like, you know, granted, you're still basically just pressing Y a bunch of times. Sure. But, like, her moves look cool, and she, like, summons big, like, magical water blasts. Um, 
and like going to some of the DLC, there's all kinds of weirdness. Like I was playing as Tingle who can like (laughs) um, inflate giant balloons and fly up into the air and then stomp down on enemies. Uh, So all of that stuff, like there's just enough here to sort of bolster that, that basic gameplay a little bit. And it, it goes a long way in terms of being a better game. And it it's uh, it does a much better job of introducing you to some of these concepts. So like like I said, I was playing through it and suddenly things started to click with me. Like this whole concept of like uh, uh, troop morale, yeah. which is something that Orochi just sort of throws in there, and you're like, all right, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do about it? This one explains that your troop morale is affected by how many outposts you control. Yeah. So if you control more outposts, your armies will start glowing blue, and if they're glowing blue, that means your attacks are going to be more impactful. And so if you want to go face like a big boss or something, it might be a good idea to run around the battlefield first, clean up any outposts that you may have lost, and then bolster your army and go take on that boss. Like yeah. that makes sense now. Like it finally is is clicking into place and it's like a pretty simple mechanic that that works. And like the mini map is just like a much cleaner, easier to see mini map. Like that was another thing with Orochi is like, Oh, I can't believe I have not railed on that minimap yet. Man, I hate the minimaps in these games. It's just I hate such, a, such a mush of, like, colors. It's totally unclear which path is which. Yeah. And at least here, like, when there is some icon of, like, go here on the minimap to save this fort, I can at least tell where that is. Yeah, what this game really needed is, like, a, a GTA-style, like, round mini-map that sort of adjusts depending on your position. Yeah. So you have an idea. Like, so you're always moving, like, due north or something, you know? I spend most of the time in both of these games just looking at the map and spinning my character around until the arrow faced the right direction. <laughs> yep. And even then, I was often very confused because there's just something about it that's not intuitive. It's way too small, and that's compounded if you try and play either of these games off TV. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, trying to play Orochi without or the big screen made it kind of impossible to see. Uh, Hyrule Wars does a little bit of a better job with that. It's a little easier to see on the uh, the gamepad. But, uh, man, yeah, it's still it's a struggle. And even though I like this game a, a lot better, I really hate that minimap. Yeah, and I will say, like, I like this game a lot better, too, than the, than the Orochi game. But, like, I still don't think this game is very good. Like, no, I, it's not great. I, I, I it, it hooked me enough to play through like three solid levels of it. And then I'm just like, all right, I think I got the gist. I'm probably good. Like my my uh, my gamepad lost connection to the TV. And I'm just like, yeah, that's a good sign. I'll just stop. Yeah. And it's like there is sort of the gimmick is that each level, like you'll get a new weapon or you'll unlock a new character or like yeah. new sets. Of mo- so there is lots of like fun fan servicey ways to sort of really explore like all of the different Zelda characters and be like, all right, what if I fight as the King of Red Lions and give him this, so, give him Megaton's hammer or something to fight with. Sure. Um, and I just, the, yeah, the fundamental problem is that all you're doing is just slicing dudes and running from place to place. And like, there is a lot of extra content here as well. Like the mode that we were talking about um, is the legend mode. Uh huh. Um, which is just you know the basic experience, but there's also what's called the adventure mode, which um, I I was very excited about initially because it boots up and looks like the original Legend of Zelda. Um, yeah. And I'm like, oh, what is this mode going to be? Um, and then they you go to a mini ma- like a, a big map that is just like the first Legend of Zelda's map, but each one is basically it's basically a mission mode where each screen in the original Zelda is just a dynasty warriors mission, like defeat 300 enemies in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it's like, uh, I guess this is like another way to play the game, but I'm still stuck playing this game. Right. It, the, the whole Warriors series to me, and I'm sure that this has happened, but it feels very much like a mobile franchise. Um, yeah even though like the idea is it's supposed to have like this giant scope um and like i i feel like it would probably be pretty unpleasant to be playing on a super small screen like that at the same time it's like this very simple gameplay and sort of constant like leveling up of characters and getting like basic rewards or cosmetics just to me feels like um what mobile gaming basically is like we have all these different kinds of currencies and things you can craft with but n- and but it all just kind of comes back to like tap on the screen a bunch of times basically yeah i mean maybe uh 
uh, a higher level like tactical RPG where you have the option to drop in on these fights and like hack and slash if you feel like it. That might be kind of a, a more elegant yeah. approach to this, but it it does just start to wear on you. Like even even in a game I enjoy much more uh, like this one. Like it, it's still it's a formula with a very limited appeal. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think it, the thing is, I don't think it has to be that way. Like, I like the premise of like being this cog in this giant war. And like, like I said, those Lord of the Rings games that I referenced earlier, those are very simplistic sort of hack and slash games. Yeah. And they're also not very long. No. But like, they really work because they're sort of big and cinematic and you feel like you're in the battle. Like, and there's yeah. a story carrying you through and there's cutscenes that are interesting and like, Hyrule Warriors certainly has more of that than the Orochi game does, but it's still, they just don't quite put those levels of polish and attention that you want. Like, if, if there was some, if the combat system was just a little more, or there was a way to kind of customize your moveset, or I think it would go a long way if the enemies sort of interacted with you in a more meaningful way. Like you just yeah. kind of run by them and occasionally they hit you and then you go get help. If you felt like one of them was a threat in any yeah. way, like, or if your life was endangered in any way, like, you know, I don't know. You know, if, if there are fans of the series out there listening and, and like we're missing something crucial, please write in, let us know. But like, I, I feel like it's just not a series that's going to click with me. I've I'm given sure, it its due diligence. I'm sure that fans of this series have spent their entire fandom, you know, having to defend this series from other people. And, sure. You know, at this point, it's not their responsibility. They can, yeah. just, they can just celebrate and bask in their uh, Warriors fandom. And um, yeah, enjoy. Also, it. to me, God bless. I'm always kind of thankful when I'm like, oh, good. It's a, it's a, the franchise I don't have to get into. Like, I, <laughs> I can actually go back to like playing games that I actually want to play as yeah. opposed to uh, getting sucked into something where I'm like, oh, I guess this is good now. <laughs> Got to try it now. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on to our rankings. Uh, each week we are ranking the games that we've just played, adding them to our master list and comparing it to the other titles. Uh, do you want to go first on this one? Do you have them ready? Uh, sure, I can go first. Um, I'm going to uh, put the the Zelda one was much better. Um, I'm going to yes. place that first. Um, I'm going to put it at number 82, which is right ahead of the Skylanders games. Um, okay. Similar maybe to Skylanders in the sense that, you, you know, the you get bored of it, but at least that had the weird toys to go along with it. Um, yeah. And Orochi 3, I did not like. Um, I found it unpleasant. I'm putting it at number 122, which is right behind Barbie and her sister's puppy rescue. Ooh, Very suck it. Games. All right, behind Barbie's sisters, that's uh, pretty pretty uh, damning right there. Yeah, you'd rather play a Barbie game. Yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, we're we're fairly similar. I think I I uh, I came down kind of in similar places here. For Orochi, yeah, did not like it. Uh, found it frustrating. Was was kind of giving me a headache and just making me irritable. I'm putting it at number one eighteen. That's going to be right underneath 007 Legends, uh, which is you know. Also not a great game. Probably a game I'd much rather play than this one, yeah, but no that's kind of where I'm landing it. Uh, and Hyrule Warriors, you know, uh, I'm I'm a little more positive on it than you are. I'm putting it at number 60, which is underneath Terraria, mm -hmm. because I think there were, especially in the early levels of this game, it was really, I, was, I think I was finally getting what people want to get out of this series, which is like feeling like a super badass mowing down like, ridiculous numbers of uh enemies you know my it, it's pretty satisfying watching your like kill count go up into the thousands sure. especially if you feel like you have a little bit of uh uh the, you feel like there's a little bit of substance to the enemies and like a little bit of uh graphical fidelity behind it yeah but ultimately it does just kind of it doesn't have the momentum to carry me through like i don't feel the need to see this game through to its conclusion and playing three levels of it was kind of about all i needed so that's that's where I'm landed on that. Uh, it, it is a significantly better experience than Orochi, like almost uh, almost twice as good, apparently, yes. according to this no, list. No here. question. Uh, well, great. Well, we have one letter this week. Uh, this one is on my notes, which I definitely am opening right now. <laughs> uh, this one says, hey, gang. Hey. Who do you think would turn out a better product, a Hideo Kojima-directed movie or a Christopher Nolan-directed video game? 
I think the one Kojima game I haven't played is Death Stranding, so I don't know quite know how or if it continues his tradition of basically being a movie with some basic gameplay elements. But Metal Gear Solid 4 certainly fits that bill. Is it possible for Kojima to limit himself to a three-hour time frame? And Christopher Nolan movies are some of my favorites ever, but it seems like his ideas are starting to go beyond what's capable in a three-hour film format. I can't express how much I'd want a video game based on some aspects laid out in Tenet, for example. Mm-hmm. Better video game idea than movie? All the best, and that is from our friend Scott Berger. Thank you, oh. Scott, for sending that in. Yeah, good question, Scott. It is a good question, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we were pretty immersed in uh, Kojima with our uh, Patreon series where we talked about the Metal Gear Solid games. So we, we got a good sense of his uh, vibe. Death Stranding, I would say, I, th- I think Death Stranding is more game than movie. Mm-hmm. Because who would watch that movie? Uh, it's, it's Norman Reedus carrying boxes across the country back and forth. Like, that's the movie. Um, you know, so it, it does feel more like a game. But, uh, but I agree with the, the Tenet observation. Like, that was a movie that really left me cold from a narrative perspective. Yeah. Like I just, I did not understand what was happening. I didn't care about any of the characters. Yeah. I didn't know what the stakes were, but the reverse uh, technology, that weird kind of gimmick that they had come up with was pretty fucking cool. And it would be kind of cool in a video game. Like, I think that is a, a movie that would work better as a video game. Yeah, I could see I, that. And so I, I feel like I am coming down on like, Nolan would make a better video game than Kojima would make a movie. Oh, that's, interesting. I, that's kind of where I'm thinking. I'm taking the other side. Um, okay. Because I I think that Kojima would make a very weird game or very weird movie yes. that I would be excited to see um, that would sort of stand out individually. Um, whereas I think that a lot of the ideas that are important to Christopher Nolan, namely time, basically yeah. every movie by Christopher Nolan is built around time in some way. Yeah, yeah. Um, are kind of intrinsic to movies because, like, he has to sort of control the path that you're on and the speed that you go at it. Oh, Whereas that's interesting. In a video game, since you have control over that time, I don't think that things would land as well. That is an interesting point. I think that's an interesting point. I, I think just in terms of, you know, K- Kojima has a very cinematic style to his games, but they're also they lack cinematic pacing, you know, like I think, but I think uh, that's because of just them being a game. It could be, it could be, but a lot of these are I'm talking about are like the cutscenes. you know, like if you look at the cutscenes in metal gear solid two, they are so long and so languorous. And I think a movie, a version of that would get pretty tedious pretty quickly. And, you know, even though he, he makes stuff that's like, visually stunning and uh, uh, narratively batshit, you know, so I think it would make for an interesting experience, but I think the pacing issues would need to be uh, addressed before it can make, like, a really solid film. Yeah, well, that's fair. I probably, neither of those will ever happen. um, No. But I would be excited if either of them did. I I feel like, you know, that we, we were on the precipice of, like, filmmakers really embracing video games as a medium with Guillermo del Toro kind of getting ready to jump in. And then Konami kind of pulled the plug on that and kind of killed all enthusiasm for the idea. Mm. So I think we're, we're, we're going to see more like segregation of those two fields rather than uh, uh, more crossover, but it is kind of a bummer because I, I am still very curious about what kind of thing uh, Guillermo del Toro would have made as a video game. I want to see the pa- Panos Cosmatos movie. Oh my God! That's, seriously, that's, or, or, oh. or video game. I'm sorry. Pondos yes, Cosmetos video game. Yeah. That's, oh, hundred percent. Has he just done Mandy, or he has another one? Uh, he has a movie before that called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is very weird <gasps> and not very good. And he yeah. also did um one of the Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, which is also weird and not very good. Um, Fair. So, yeah, I haven't watched but, any of those, but, but yeah, the vibes are fun. They're all vibes good vibes, fun. and I just want that in video game form. Mandy is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of those other ones not working, Mandy's a masterpiece. Um, well, thank you, Scott, for the letter. And thank you, everybody, for listening. You can always send letters into ultra64podcast at gmail.com or on our website, ultra64podcast.com. Uh, one final note. Thank you, everybody, for bearing with us. We had some technical issues with the episode last week. Uh, something happened with Ailish's mic, and uh, we lost a lot of her 
uh, content, so I had to go back and re-edit it last minute. So it probably sounded a little wonky, but uh, thank you to the listeners who pointed it out and to people for bearing with me while I corrected those issues. Hopefully that won't be a problem this week. I don't think it will be. Um, but be sure to tune in next Wait, week. Wait, Alish was here this week and I totally missed it? Oh, yeah, you couldn't hear her talking this entire time? Wait, we got to yeah. restart. We got Go back, play Orochi Dynasty Warriors again. <laughs> Start and again. again. Yep. <laughs> Uh, next week, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this one because this has kind of been a big question mark for both of us, I think. Uh, a, a game that, you know, we, we don't totally know what it is, but I think it's combining elements of things that I like. So we're talking about Tokyo Mirage Sessions hashtag FE. Oh, Another yeah, terrible combining, title. Combining all the things you like. Tokyo, mm-hmm. Mirages, oh, Sessions. Gimme them Sessions. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this is... From my understanding of this game, it's it's I know it's an RPG and it's kind of a crossover between the only two JRPG series that are like kind of appointment gaming for me. These are the ones I, I will turn up and play every time as a main series entry. So it's half Fire Emblem and half Persona. Okay. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what that little marriage will look like. Uh, so uh, tune in next week where we're going to get into all of that crazy carnage. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, press Y, motherfuckers. (laughs) Press Y. Why? Because.